Happy Tuesday, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of New School of Thinking. Today, we have the opportunity to talk to Logan and Chris from the Downtown Streets team out in California. And they talk about their journey, their history, and what it means to give back to the community and taking action. I hope you all enjoy. Welcome again. So we've got Logan and Chris. Where are you guys from? What brought you to the new school of thinking today? We're super excited to, to host y'all. Let's start with uh, you, Logan. You've got the brightest smile in the room so far. So <laughs> what's right. going on? <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm Logan McDonald. I'm the senior director of development for Downtown Streets Teams. And um, what we do is we have a work experience model where people who are experiencing homelessness can actually volunteer with us and uh, clean up the streets and they get kind of conditioned to a work environment. But more importantly, they get to be part of a community where a lot of people that are experiencing the same thing that they're experiencing are all trying to move toward uh, something a lot greater. Um, And just a little bit about me. I actually, I'm from New York, Westchester County. And I grew up in New York um, with a little brother that has uh, severe autism. So I think um, I've always had I think that kind of helped me develop um, my empathy and understanding for people that may not have the same experiences as me. Um, and it, it kind of made me more caring in that aspect and a little bit more patient. Um, and in New York, I grew up in New York. I was a teenager during the height of uh, Stop and Frisk, which uh, for those that don't know is pretty much if you're in any place at any time and you look uh, suspicious, whatever that means, you could pretty much get searched uh without a warrant or anything like that so and also i'm also from a town where no one really leaves right so this is this has a lot to do with why i'm even in california now because when i was in new york uh i was repeatedly searched and uh harassed and i remember this one day which is i think it was like the changing moment for me i was sitting in front of my house and a police officer comes up to me and uh asked me what i'm doing out there and I tell him, well, I live right here. And he has to see my ID. And it pretty much gets to a point where, long story short, we go back and forth for a while. I ask him, um, well, why do you keep asking me these questions when you see that I'm literally in front of my house and you have my ID? And he's like, well, a lot of houses began broken into. Um, and uh, you could be breaking into a house right now. <laughs> I was like, all right, in front of my what? own house? And, and he was like, yeah, uh, well, that doesn't mean anything. And um, I end up basically because I keep going back and forth. This is before I knew about like, yes, sir, no, sir, or yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. So I'm, I'm uh, laying on my stomach in handcuffs at this point, like long story short. Um, and while I'm in handcuffs, he's, he's got a little infrared um, on my eyeball because the, the, the taser has a little laser on it. And he's just taunting me and they're like, yeah, tase him, tase him. And my neighbors started coming outside and they stopped them from doing it. They all leave him alone. And I end up spending a night in jail and I go to, um, I go to court and then I ask for a trial. And because it's a fine and not a misdemeanor, they, they don't give me a court appointed lawyer. So I had to learn how to defend myself in court. So, uh, you know, it's the trial day and I go to Barnes and Nobles and I have a little page ripped out things you could object to because the only thing that I saw on TV was people just saying objection, your honor, objection. So that's all I really knew about uh, cross-examining anybody is you could object to stuff. That's really all I had. Um, So I asked the police officer a whole bunch of questions and the last question I asked them was, why did you want to tase me? And the officer said, well, you were resisting arrest. And that's when the judge chimed in. The judge was like, well, he's not charged with resisting arrest. So I won. Um, But after I won, uh, I was like taunted around town for the next few months. Like they would just, uh, police officers would stop me or they would like mean grill me. And I was just like, oh, I got to get out of here. Because I, in my head at that point, I was like, I'm just going to get killed if I stay here. Like they're going to get me. Um, so I end up leaving to go to Florida. I get my bachelor's degree from Florida A&M. And I still don't want to go back to New York at this point in time. So I end up going to live with my grandmother in California. And that's when I discovered Downtown Streets Team. And it's that model I was telling you about in the beginning, 
but instead of having me work on that model, they had me work on a side contract um, where I was in the largest homeless encampment in the region. It was 70 acres, about 300 people lived there. There were uh, tree houses, uh, underground burrows where I saw kids running out and the kids were hidden from um, social service workers. Um, and they were, they were running electricity from the light poles uh, playing video games and it was just a, a whole community it, it was actually something like I'm surprised they never made the National Geographic because it was really nothing in this hemisphere I've ever seen anything similar to it um, so it was really it was really 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 crazy and from there my job was to work with prop- property managers and landlords and convince them to um, pretty much take these people even though they have subsidies and even though they say they don't take subsidies so after doing that i went up to marin county and i started running the program up there and when we found ourselves in a deficit uh i figured out how to get us out of that deficit using um a lot of different sponsorships opportunities say it again and a really great boss and a really great (laughs) boss so chris was chris was my boss at the time and he just gave me like you know unlimited rope to just do whatever i wanted to do um and what I did was I, I, I was sitting on the board of this business improvement district and with them and with the help of a city, the city of San Rafael, what I was able to do is I, I took these 10 refurbished parking meters and I put them around town and I pretty much just said, okay, instead of giving directly on the street, give to these meters and then we'll funnel the money from these meters directly to the basic needs of people that need it most. So yeah. if you were, if you were given change to these meters and that was the same money that we'd use to say, like if someone had pneumonia on, on our, in our program, we would put them up in a hotel for a couple of nights and let them get over their pneumonia instead of sleeping on the streets. Yeah. Um, and what we also did was we had each meter sponsored by a local business. And I think in that first year we raised 48,000. Um, and yeah, and from that point, we expand the program to three other cities. Um, and I got really into the habit of fundraising and that's what I'm doing now is pretty much overseeing the fundraising for all 15 of our cities. So that's my whole story. I hope it wasn't too long winded, but that's it. It, it just never ends, but that's, that's amazing. Like congratulations on such milestones but moreover getting getting through those adversities but speaking about that great boss chris let's let's hear from you what's your story and your your play on um this amazing organization sure yeah um i'm joking about being a great boss to logan um (laughs) a great boss to logan is just staying out of his way and letting him do his thing really uh for me i've got a much less interesting story um uh, there's no injustices uh, overcome or anything like that. I um, uh, This is a family business for me. Um, my mother uh, was the founder and CEO. She, well, is the founder and, and is the CEO. Um, and she did it by herself for the first four years. Uh, she walked away from a, a very lucrative career in venture capital. And um, she's a high-tech CEO of a couple different companies. Uh, her biggest claim to fame, she was the first CEO of Napster. Um, and wow. she walked away from all that for this idea that was Downtown Streets Team. And uh, she did it when I was, I think I was a freshman or sophomore in college. And um, I started helping her write grants. You know, she's great at a lot of things, writing, not not particularly. Um, and so she used to, you know, call me up and be like, hey, I'm emailing over a grant. Um, and one grant that I helped her out with, I remember it was a, a kind of Christmas break back home in California from the East Coast. And uh, uh, it was a grant to Harvard, um, their uh, Ash Institute, which is part of their Kennedy School of Government. Um, and it, they were looking for innovations in government and, and ways to um, uh, bring more attention there. And so uh, she didn't have the time. You know, she was running a nonprofit by herself. And so she said, hey, take a take a crack at it. And um, I did. And we got the grant. We were named one of uh, 50 innovations in American government. And this was back in 2000, uh, 2007, 2008, about. Uh, and uh, I learned the hard way that um, if my mom finds out you're good at something, you know, you're going to get a lot more work. Uh, <laughs> Logan can attest to that. So she started sending me grants, uh, you know, with little reminders about how much of my tuition she was paying. Um, uh, and so I started doing that. And, you know, uh, during and after school, I worked in sales in the tech industry and 
um, I managed a restaurant for a while um, and I you know, was kind of floating around trying to figure out what I wanted to do. She said, hey, I really need help right now. Um, you know, come write grants for me. I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour and you can look for another job. Um, about a week and a half in, she told me I was salaried. And I said, mom, I am not working for you here at End of Story. I love you to death. I, I love um, this work. It's great, but I'm, I'm not going to work for my mom, especially when it's just me and my mom. And um, uh, I told her I'd give her six months, um, help her out for six months. And um, I just celebrated in November uh over 10 years being employed at DST. Wow, yeah, amazing, amazing. And, yeah, and so we uh, we um, grew um, back in 2009 when I started. We, we launched our second city in 2011, been growing since then. Um, and now it's not just me and my mom anymore. We have over 80 employees um, spread throughout Northern California. It's been a hell of a ride. And I always kind of joke that she tricked me into my dream job. <laughs> well, she, she, she planted those seeds. I mean, uh, we kind of don't fall too far from the apple trees. They they don't lie about that statement sometimes. Unfortunately yeah, yeah, and yeah. fortunately. But congratulations on... on um, 10 years. 10, 10 years, years, yeah. Yeah, what's funny is my dad actually, he's uh, been working in um, education and disaster relief and nonprofit work for the last, I'd say, 15 years or so. Um, and he, <clears throat> about two and a half years ago, became the CEO of... Um, the Gospel Center Rescue Mission um, here in California. So he moved from the East Coast out to California. Um, so I tease him a little bit because I've been doing, you know, um, the, I've been working in homelessness uh, longer than he has. Uh, um, it's a, there's obviously something in my family, um, a heart for this work and for, for folks that are experiencing the trauma of homelessness. So where did that start yeah. though? Like where did this idea stick where it's like, you know, you're going to be investing all this time and, you know, 10 years of your life towards homelessness like why homelessness over um there are many other pri like other situations around the world but what was it about this that you know made you want to stick it through and create downtown street team yeah i um i so a couple things i mean there's there's plenty of um issues and uh that are close to my my heart and things you know i could see myself working on um i think for me in particular um uh homelessness has absolutely exploded on the west coast especially um uh, throughout the united states and now we're seeing it in countries where um you know there um it, there was no evident um unhoused population um and that's kind of you know expanding too there's issues like human trafficking which are obviously su super important um and things i care about but i don't get to see it on a day-to-day -day basis um and so for homelessness you know you you see people experiencing homelessness um here in the bay area on an absolute daily basis and a stroll through most neighborhoods in san francisco um, you have to walk by um, sometimes, you know, hundreds of people um, that are experiencing trauma in your face. And so um, it's the type of thing where you kind of have to say, and one of the silver linings of the growing, um, this issue, this issue that, that is growing is that more and more people are saying, I can't just sit still anymore and um, let this, you know, uh, keep occurring. So I think that's part of it. Another thing for me personally is um, when you see someone who, um, it's not necessarily the physical toll that it takes, which obviously that's, that's huge. Um, when I see people that are very obviously isolated, um, very obviously lonely, it like absolutely breaks my heart. Uh, and so one of the things I love about DST is we provide them with a community that's going to support them, have their back. Yeah. Keep them accountable too, but, um, they feel like they have people they can lean on again. They don't feel alone anymore. Um, and they don't feel like the homeless guy that's so marginalized and isolated, I'll, I'll take just one more minute to say when we first got started, um, we started in Palo Alto. Um, and when we first got started, one of the first things we did was uh, send out this survey to a, a bunch of people experiencing homelessness in, in downtown Palo Alto. And we asked a bunch of questions. One of the questions that we asked was, what is the worst part about being homeless? The multiple choice question, um, you know, uh, my mom, you know, was like, is it the cold? Is it um, the security at night? Um, and then she you know, had a little other box and overwhelmingly people checked that other box and said some form of feeling marginalized, feeling isolated, feeling down upon, feeling like the mad guy. Um, and that is so damaging to people, um, to their um, sense of dignity, to their sense of self, to their sense of worth, to their motivation, um, you know. Um, and, and so 
we really saw it as like, if we can tackle that first um, and bring people community and make them not feel alone, um, we could probably move the needle on this. And so that was the impetus for how to, why uh, we both got involved. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that that's amazing. That is crazy. And, no. and no, sorry, go ahead, Ren. No, go ahead, Jamal. No, I was, just gonna, I was gonna ask Logan the same question, like what brought you into it? I know you had the adversity behind you and, and you went through a lot of adversity at a young age and coming up, moving around, but what was the one thing that brought you into this? Yeah, um, well, similar to, to Chris, there's definitely a lot of issues that I care about. Um, and I really think that a lot of the issues that we see, whether it could be everything from um, the environment or going 1.5 degrees Celsius on average above the, the temperature um, and homelessness, all these things are still, it's still a circle of life, right? It's still inextricably connected when you really want to get down to the nitty gritty and you see the economy, like for example, this boost in the economy, all these people getting rich, all these millionaires coming out of San Francisco, it's having this adverse effect on this right. population. Right. So it's like for it's almost like for every great thing that happens, there's uh, an equal and opposite reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really um, just walking around the Bay Area specifically, um, I feel like we're, we're constantly witnessing a travesty. Um, but we're we're almost and when I say we're I'm talking about the general population, we're becoming desensitized to it. Right. There's this. uh diffusion of responsibility or a bystander syndrome of us seeing something that's horrible it's, it's literally the worst most embarrassing thing that can happen to somebody and we're witnessing it to the point that a lot of people just don't have the bandwidth to care about it as much so if we don't have this uh hyper focused lens on it and try to change the perceptions of it and let people know that this isn't somebody that has this isn't necessarily someone that's made the worst possible decisions in life. Like this is somebody that you don't know what their story is. And we need to kind of like focus on these people, get to know them as individuals and stop generalizing. And um, that's the reason why I'm really into this is because of all the stories that I've actually got to, got to witness or got to hear about. And it's really just opened up uh, my palate and my mindset about, um, you know, this isn't a homeless issue. The, I mean, the idea of homelessness is really an umbrella term that defines um, everything from job loss to substance abuse to um, domestic violence. It's literally just this amalgamation of a plethora, a myriad of issues. And we kind of just umbrella uh, the, the whole landscape of just calling it homelessness. Um, so really, when I, when I think of myself addressing homelessness, I think of myself addressing um, just so many issues under the sun. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, you never know when we're talking about um, someone that's going through uh, mental health issues or someone that's going through, um, you know, a sexual assault where, where they, they turn to drugs to self-medicate to deal with the trauma, right? So it's like, am I really addressing homelessness or am I addressing hundreds of issues? Um, and that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah, I think I think that I agree with that. That's that's a great way you put it there. I mean, you guys both kind of hit the nail on the head there when you said homelessness is, is the umbrella term that we like to, well, that, that's generalized, I guess, as you said, but it does come down to damaging a person's self-esteem and their self-worth and their dignity and how they feel about themselves because that is kind of what motivates everybody to get up in the morning and do what they do right mm-hmm. so i mean that, that to hear both of your stories that's that's great uh, that is great thank you so much and thank you for sharing that insight i think a lot of us mm-hmm. especially i mean we're from toronto we see homelessness too but yep. the the interesting thing that i've heard or experienced is where i had friends that have you know we celebrate silicon valley here of like you know that's the tech hub there's so many high-end things of course with all the the big brand names and um all those uh, brands up there and companies moving out there because it's a tech hub was one element of it. But I remember a friend that moved out there for an opportunity, but she said, as much as the building was nice and the company was nice and I walked into a, an amazing environment work, work-wise, work the moment I stepped out, there's so much poverty and homelessness 
that it's just such a mind-boggling situation to be in. It's like behind the door is one thing and then outside in the community it's totally different and that's something I think you know to to Logan your point that we've become this bystander and we just like fall for whatever that um that uh I don't know, that popular view or perspective is of certain cities and kind of put this under that radar. But how were you guys able to, like, what what does that model look like for downtown street teams? How can it be duplicated elsewhere? Like, how can we carry out that extension to end or work towards uh, supporting the homelessness uh, communities and getting them back into, I guess, our regular day-to-day society? Well, I mean, that's what we do on a daily basis, uh, certainly. I think uh, Logan touched on it earlier. One of our core philosophies is that everybody's different. Um, and everybody arrived at, um, you know, in the situation uh, because of a different set of circumstances. So you can't have this cookie cutter uh, path out of homelessness like, oh, you uh, have experienced um, domestic violence or your path out of homelessness. It just doesn't work like that. Humans are the most complex mm-hmm. in the world. Um, uh, and so treating each person like an individual and working with them one-on-one uh, uh, in a very individualized uh, opt-in um, style is uh, essential if you're actually going to move the needle. It's so tempting to get in front of a whiteboard and start saying, here's the system, here's um, you know the systems that get folks out. And we've been trying to do that for years and years and years, and it just hasn't worked. Um, most of the funding that, that um, you know hopefully resolves this issue comes, uh, at least in America, from the federal government. Um, and so they're pumping down these systems and they have a long, long track record that isn't very good um, in solving this issue. It's only gotten worse um, by trying to trying to um, impose these systems. Uh, so that's one of the things we want folks to, to focus on as well. Um, and, and one of our other philosophies that we think is core in the fight against homelessness is, um, you know, something that we say all the time that homelessness is an experience, not an identity. Um, and uh, the second you label someone as homeless, um, um, you know, certainly small-minded, but also damaging um, to them, um, but also to uh, what their ability is. And so you really need to involve these folks um, in the fight against homelessness. And that's what uh, Logan and I are lucky enough to be able to do. Our teams, these work experience teams, um, Jamal, you mentioned it earlier, you know, essentially they wake up in the morning and they have something to do during that day. They have something meaningful to do. Um, um, they're going to go clean their community and they're going to put on a bright yellow shirt and they're going to be the hero in their community. Um, yeah. And so cool is, you know, the couple times I've played uh, Secret Shopper and gone out in a yellow shirt with, you know, our teams is the amount of people that come up to us and say, thank you for what you're doing. And it makes you feel great about yourself. And when you felt marginalized and isolated and you felt like the bad guy and people are seeing you in this very public way, clean up your community, it changes their perception about like, instead of that homeless guy, it's like that, no, that person is cleaning up my community. Um, But it also has incredible value to the person's uh, sense of self. Um, And so that's the basic model. That's how we arrived at that. And then once folks start feeling good about themselves, they're kind of unstoppable. And we stay out of the way to some degree. And uh, one of the things that we do is, uh, you know, we don't have any staff members out there with our our team members. Um, And it's a volunteer, um, you know, their participation is voluntary. They're not employees. Um, And we don't have staff out there with them. They manage each other. They hold each other accountable. Um, They clean up their community. Um, And um, I wish I could say that... um, you know, Logan, me, my mom are brilliant. And we, you know, we were employing this empowerment model because that's how we designed it. Um, but really it was out of necessity. And um, it turns out that um, when you place a lot of uh, trust in folks, they tend to, to rise to the occasion. Um, and it's gotten to the point where when they throw that shirt on, they know that they're representing not only themselves, not only the organization, but this issue of homelessness and trying to dispel uh, myths around it. And so uh, they take it very seriously. And they represent, um, uh, themselves in the organization um, and uh, other folks who have experienced homelessness in a very positive light in front of the entire community. So that's the model at its core. How did you how did you break that or how did you build that trust with you know how we say us and them right like they are empowering themselves there's still that differentiator how did you first initiate building that trust with that community regardless of that label but yeah, and, and you know, there's always a power dynamic um, when you have, uh, even <clears throat> no matter how flat an agency is, the CEO is always going to be, you know, there's a little bit of more power dynamic between the CEO and the um, the person who cleans the bathrooms, right? Um, so there, there, 
there's going to be some of that as well. Um, uh, my personal philosophy on that, which has seemed to work and, and helped me build trust in the early days was kind of a leaders eat last type of philosophy and getting your hands dirty and not asking anybody to do anything that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself. Um, so, you know, uh, I think that was, that was how I was raised by both my parents. Um, and I hear these, you know, funny stories of we were, we had this early uh, project where we were basically doing janitorial at a shelter here in Silicon Valley. And, um, we really wanted the project. Um, and they said, well, it's yours if you can start today. And my mom grabbed a plunger and went right in the ladies room and started plunging toilets because they were overflowing. And, you know, uh, you have these volunteer team members who are like, is that the CEO over there? Like plunging toilets, right? Um, and so that, that goes a long way as well. Um, with this population um, as well, the reason they're on the street is because one system or another has failed them. Period, end of story. Every single person on the street, one system has failed them. Um, and so they have broken trust. And so the only way to kind of rebuild that is to keep your promises. You can't um, say, I'm gonna get you a house tomorrow. Like that's not within our control. We're in a crazy housing market. Um, but you can promise um, the effort and you can meet them halfway. And eventually folks uh, will you know, build that trust with you. Um, and it's not, it takes time. Um, you need to put the effort and uh, you need to be authentic um, uh, with, what you're, with, with what you're telling folks. That's... Yeah, yeah, I hear that. And and um, while you were talking about that, I mean, I'm I'm into a lot of like I, I read a lot of articles and stuff on management style and and leadership and different types of leadership, and that kind of that resonated with me on what you were saying, and it kind of fell into your lap that you had to trust these people, and you had to you know the community and and give them the the trust, and that co- that kind of made them self-organizing teams, right? That that made them self-empowered because now they have that responsibility. They feel like as a team, as a unit, whenever they go clean up a certain community, it's their responsibility to make sure the job gets done right, right? And that's that's kind of empowering to to them. So I just want to check right. in with Logan for a second because, you know, like this is a mom and son that super are like are super inspiring. The the leadership DNA is in there. What was that trait that attracted you to sticker? Like, how long have you been with the organization so far, Logan? Yeah, going on six years. March will make six years. Wowzers! Yeah, y'all have longer commitments than I do in any aspect of my life. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, hey, you know, um, I I feel like Downtown Streets team for me has always been extended family. Um, and I think that the same way Chris is talking about how we, we talk to the, the team members as if they're peers, you know, like it's not that they're a client and we're like this guiding light that's going to tell them how to fix their lives. You know, it's just like they they know what um, what they need to do and we're just here to support and they're there for each other uh, and they support each other. But it's the same thing with us as staff. Um, I feel like if there's ever an issue I have, I know that my manager, my CEO uh, will be there just one phone call away. So, um, and it's just like, we trust each other. We trust each other to, to be there and to be by our side and to bounce ideas off of. And I think that's what really drives um, us as an organization and just the culture that we have. So just be honest with me. At yeah. what point did you want to leave, but you're like, ah, oh, I'm too deep into this. I, I can't. <laughs> There's always, there's always struggles. There's always some struggles, right? I, I can tell you this, that a lot of people have tried to steal them from us. That is... Uh, I can believe that. I, I can, can totally believe that. Believe too, that. Yeah. So uh, what was it, Logan? That. When did you want to leave? Did you ever want to leave? Be honest. Pretend Chris is not even here. No, I mean, like, well, you know what's crazy? What's crazy is... I, and this is just advice that I think that I take, um, is... All that glitters isn't gold, you know what I mean? So there's been some times that someone will come to me like, hey, you want to be a CEO of this organization? And it's like, well, no. It's like, am I? do I want to be a CEO and have this title, right? Or do I, I, do I want to just do the work that really speaks to me, right? Because in some cases, like, I'd much rather be a case manager here than to be, like, the top person at your organization because I don't, I'm not that that work doesn't speak to me as much as this work does. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, stop being. Uh, what was that Batman uh, metaphor where they were talking about like a dog that just keeps chasing um, 
you know, the tire, but doesn't really know what he's going to do when he catches it. It's sort of like, it's like that. It's like, it's, it's like, I'm not just going to keep chasing and chasing and chasing um, because I, I know if I just keep focusing on the work I'm doing now, I'm, I'm going to be successful. And that's why in six years, I ended up going from case manager to senior director of development. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Wow. Well, what did, yeah. how do you define? So I think I'm getting a better understanding of how you define success. But right. do you tie impact with that? How do you define impact for yourself, but also with your um, involvement in downtown street team? Yeah, uh, well, I'll tell you this. It needs to, there needs to be, it needs to work, right? Um, there needs to be tangible things happening. It can't just be fluff. It can't be us trying to spin things. Uh, for me, I feel like the bread and butter is actually witnessing changes in people's lives. Um, so if somebody was sleeping in a storefront and now they have a job and they can afford their rent, that's something that, you know, along the way, there was a lot of, you know, maybe a step forward, two steps back, but we just kept moving forward. We just kept going onward as much as we could. So, um, and I'm trying to remember what your original question was, but, <laughs> but I feel as if. I feel as if uh, the way I kind of define success is um, actually witnessing the impact and, and hearing the success stories. And that's what gives me the fuel to really want to keep going. You're clever. Uh, You're clever. You you just tied two words into one back. sentence. Yeah, you but... got everything back into it. So that's great. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Hey, man. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. Oh, and, and, and how about you, Chris? Um, I, it's it's similar. So we have this. Uh, it's called a team meeting every single week in every single community that we're in. And I always joke that it's the heart and soul of our organization. You can really see the culture. It's like dripping with culture. We've been accused of being cult-like, you know, <laughs> in these meetings. Um, uh, and um, they're they're just super fun. I describe them as they're these meetings where our team members are just supporting each other. It's unhoused people helping other unhoused people out of homelessness um, uh, and uh, super positive. Um, when I was in college, I would um, you know, volunteer at the Greater uh, Boston Food Bank. Um, and even when I had that one-on-one -on -one interaction, it was just like one second, you know? Um, and so, um, and it was also kind of depressing too. Um, you know, no one was in a good mood. Um, I, I volunteered at a shelter as well. Again, you, you left like, okay, it's great that I helped out, but I, you know, I feel like my emotional tank is like lower than when I walked in here. When you walk in one of these team meetings, it's the exact opposite. And so, um, you know, with any job, uh, there's, you know, frustrations, there's, uh, you know, uh, things that you wish you could change, that type of thing. Um, but it's pretty easy for me to, you know, remind myself how, why I do this work. Um, and it's just show up at one of these team meetings and see our team members talking about their success stories and how they've changed. Um, and it's super fun. So I try and get to one a week um, throughout one of our, our teams uh, this week. Um, going into the holidays, we had two holiday parties. So on Wednesday, um, we had 12 of our teams here in San Jose, uh, California, at the Corinthian Grand Ballroom, this beautiful big ballroom. And our team members, some of whom are still living outside, got dressed up, got all dolled up. We had a huge dance party. We gave out awards, uh, talked about their success throughout the year. It was incredible. You're just like, oh man, I get paid to do this. This is awesome. Nice. So that's pretty easy too. And then, you know, we have the more tangible stuff. We have a lot of uh, supporters and donors who are like, yeah, leave the fluff. I just want to know results. Uh, so we do that in a number of ways. We count uh, removals, uh, barrier removals. So um, one of the things in this housing market um, is until we build more um, housing, and this is true um, almost throughout the world, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're going to have um, an issue of homelessness um, and affordability. Um, and so what do you do when you don't have enough units? One of the things you can do while the units are being built, which, um, you know, here in San Jose, we've made a concerted effort to do so. And it's, yeah, it's exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, but is removing these barriers to getting into housing and being successful in housing. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, um, you know, we ask folks or we count how many folks, uh, have health insurance now. That's a big one. Um, how many folks are now being, uh, are engaging in mental health. And last time we asked, uh, did a, a point in time count. We had uh, two thirds of our folks are now engaged in mental health treatment of those that have a diagnosis. 73% um, were using less um, 
drugs or alcohol than uh, before they joined the team. And one of my favorite ones is that it's actually 99% of our folks are said, said that they're proud to be a team member and give back in their community. So that goes back to the whole isolation and uh, marginalized, like my theme, if you can't tell. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, it, it goes all the way back to that. And so we're joking about writing a white paper where we, we have a dignometer where we prove that if someone, um, you know, their sense of dignity is higher, they're going to be more successful in housing and more successful in employment and that type of thing. And then since I started um, uh, back in 2009, we started counting how many people have permanently left the team into employment. Um, we are over a thousand folks now and we're almost like two away from a thousand folks uh, that have moved on into housing as well. Um, so, um, and that, that obviously is, is incredibly important. Um, but I think building folks up so that, um, even when they're in housing, um, they're able to deal uh, with, um, issues and roadblocks and barriers that come up, um, so that they don't fall back into homeless. We know it's so much cheaper. Um, if you just want to look at it in those terms, cheaper to keep somebody in housing than it is to uh, try and get someone back into housing once they've been on the street. Uh, and the trauma of homelessness really is a downward spiral where, um, you know, one thing happens and then this happens and then this, this happens and you get really mired in homelessness um, in order to survive. Um, and so um, we're, you know, we like to think that we're for the folks that we're housing or the folks that we're keeping in housing, they'll be more successful long term because of that community, because of that sense of self. I don't think that's yeah. a that's a joke at all about the white paper. I mean, get some graduate students involved writing their thesis yeah. on BS and have them. I think it's that awareness portion. I think um, there's that stereotype around not nonprofits or not for profits that you're not really enjoying. It's like you need a separate kind of chromosome in you to really care versus seeing what it is and actually being able to do that. Like that that's brilliant with the. Um, the, the coin meters and how you, like, how'd you even come yeah, up with that? Yeah. But that's, that was a simple idea that was able to fuel such a project. So if you were to write up, um, you know, like a, a downtown streets team or like a, a powerhouse of a person to join such a team, what does that DNA look like? And how can we, at least being on, you know, the social media side of things and spreading the word, how can we be much more helpful on that end? Well, we're always hiring first and foremost. So if anybody <laughs> looking at this is interested, um, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, that. And I'd also say um, most of us at Downtown Street Team out of the 80 plus, this is our first job in the quote unquote homeless services industry. Um, uh, myself included, Logan included, um, our CEO and founder, my mother included. Um, a lot of us have a, a business mind um, and we've been able to be successful and grow and, and uh, get great press and yada, 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 because um, I, th I think we have that, a lot of the things that make people successful in business too. Um, and um, and so definitely no, uh, you know, no former experience necessary. We kind of joke that if folks are in school for their MSW or masters of social work here, um, you know, we're going to we're so sad to lose them once they get it because they can't you know, be here. And it, it's a total joke, obviously. Um, but I think um, what we value here more than your educational uh, educational background, employment background is your passion for this type of work. Um, How are you testing that, Chris? How are you What's testing that? that? How do you know if someone does have a passion for for the cause? Yeah, um, I wish I could tell you a lot of times it's um, it's a gut and we'll see if they work out uh, type of thing. But I will say the people that are successful here, like Logan, um, sh you know, show that from the very get go and they're incredibly successful here. And so, um, uh, you know, all of our I'm trying to think uh, of our directors, all of our directors that are running their own regions right now. Um, and, uh, you know, Logan's running all of our development. They all started off as case managers for us. Um, they were entry level case managers and they were just um, they lived and breathed this type of work and they were um, just cheerleaders for our team members. Um, and those are the folks we're looking for. Um, and, um, you know, and then there's also the, the you know, they've got it. They've got to work their ass off, too. I'm sorry. Am I allowed to say that on this podcast? Yeah, oh, course. yeah, of course. Of course. Everything. <laughs> Have you heard? <laughs> How about you, Logan? If, if, if you were to um, describe at least like a DNA, you can totally talk about yourself because we'd love to hear more about you. But what would that DNA look like? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I'd say this, 
I think that we thrive on diversity and, and different perspectives on things. So it's like we, we kind of embrace different people, you know, um, but all those different people that we want and we want the, the most different from every spectrum that there is, um, all those people do have that one thing in common, which is that they do like to see um, a difference in people's lives. And you could definitely catch that in a job interview um, to see how much somebody cares. Because, and I'll tell you, my, like, if I'm interviewing somebody, the first thing I notice is how much research they did on us as an organization. You know, um, if someone just comes in and says, like, yeah, yeah, uh, I want to work with the homeless, um, you know, I see them all the time. You're just like, uh, all right. <laughs> you know, but it's like, when someone actually says, you know, like, and they have a story to go with it, like, their their kids, you know, asked a question about something and made them want to volunteer more, it made them, it's like, you definitely can hear it in somebody's uh, voice when they actually care about the work they're doing. So, um, I think that's that's what that's what the commonality is. It's just like, do you care or don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Care enough. And you guys, yeah. So you guys brought up the word passion there, right? So obviously you guys have a strong passion for this, and you guys look for passion in people. But what when adversity hits and when things get tough, right? How do you deal with that? Like, what what keeps you going? I know what you. I think I know what you're gonna say, right? But let our listeners hear like what keeps you guys going with this type of work because things can get rough i mean you guys have probably been through some stuff during during work how do you guys keep going and please don't say it's a why poster that you wake up to and look at every single yeah, day yeah. because i'm not gonna believe it <laughs> uh, chris you want to start or? <laughs> yeah i know uh, i mean um our leadership team is going through something very tough right now um uh you know for example and um, I, uh, I, I mentioned this earlier. Um, I, I felt so drained earlier this week. Um, and, uh, didn't feel like I had what it took to come to this holiday party and, and jump on the mic and, um, you know, uh, encourage people. Uh, the second I got to that, that, uh, shindig on Wednesday with all of our team members, I, I was just like, you know what? It's, it's all worth it. Um, and, uh, and this, this work can be so tough. And it also, you can see, you know, homelessness growing throughout the West Coast, homelessness growing throughout, um, and, you know, and you can say, um, you know, why am I doing this if the, if the problem's not going away? Um, and you meet the one-on-one folks that you have an impact. And I know it sounds cheesy, um, and I'm not a big cheesy guy, um, uh, but it is, it is so incredible. I mean, it literally lifts you up and, and it makes you want to do, it makes you want to work harder. Um, it makes you want to do whatever to get to the next step, to get better, um, uh, to change one more person's life, um, and to help one more person out of homelessness. It is, um, it's absolute fuel and it comes in droves when you meet folks, but it, it's one-on-one. I can't see, um, you know, even I can see a, a emotional video, um, and that doesn't do it as much as just talking to folks one-on-one and hearing their story and, uh, connecting with them. And that, that's the huge driver. And so if you're, if you're the type that's absolutely fueled, um, by being, um, you know, a positive force in other people's lives, then um, this is an absolute dream job. Wow. Logan, how about you? Uh, um, well, you know, I feel like adversity, that's, that's it's subjective anyway, right? Like, it's like, um, when I think about my adversity compared to one of our team members' adversities, like, it's, it's, it's a totally different ball game. Um, but I think in my experience, uh, and to Chris's point, like, I'm definitely fueled by, you know, the positive impact I get to see and the things I get to witness that other people have going for them, um, especially looking back to at where they came from. Um, but, like, I feel like in my, even in my personal life, I'm, like, the king of um, naysayers. Like, I've had, I feel like I've, I've heard it, I've heard something my whole <laughs> life as far as something that I couldn't do, you know? So it's like, when I first was talking about going to college, I, people were like, oh, man, he's going to end up dropping out. And it's like, when I when I was a criminal justice major, they were like, oh, you, you, what, are you going to be a security guard? And then it's like, after I graduated, it was like, oh, man, it's like, but you went to an HBCU, a historical black, black college. They're not, no one's going to hire you. Like, it's literally been every step of the way I've had somebody tell me what I couldn't do. And I think, like, 
and I just told all our team members this the other day. I said, um, you know, it's like um, nothing kills a big idea uh, quicker than a small mind, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like if you got people around you that are constantly negative, constantly telling you what you can't do, um, and I'm telling you, like, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, either way, you're going to be right. So that's kind of my mindset as far as facing adversity is like, I feel like me and our team, like we could do whatever it is that we think we could do. And if we think we can end homelessness, then that's what we're going to do. Wow. Y'all yeah. sound like superheroes. So what kind of superhero college <laughs> did you guys go through? Cause you know, like that, I think that personal development portion of it is huge too. I don't know. Um, and I couldn't tell if, if you guys were the same guys that you guys are today, back 10 years ago or six years ago so there was definitely some some kind of growth mindset there because i think and that's the 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 reality that we also have to see right like i'm someone who falls in love with potential and as you guys were speaking it also reminded me of dean's statement where you know his why jamal myself and dean have talked about what brought us together it's just a podcast for a lot of people but it's more than that to three of us and especially because we get these opportunities to meet amazing humans like yourselves. So he's always said at least just one listener, like one person, if they've listened, tuned in and got something out of it, that's worthwhile. So I love that you made it real. And I think it's also important for the listeners to understand that y'all started somewhere. Everybody's got to start somewhere, but you got to show up. Even if you're not feeling it at the beginning of the week, you still have to show up. Just show up and things might just be different or not different, but you wouldn't know. You'll just right. you'll just kill that dream with that small mind of missing out or uh, not fulfill. Like, everybody's just being annoying, you know, finding excuses at the same time of like, oh, well, what can I do? How can I do this? Or we've got enough haters out there so thank the haters for always putting us down because i think that there's a similarity and i i truly don't want our conversations to end i don't think one one session one podcast session is gonna do especially for this relationship we want to be along that journey with you guys let us be your like online white paper to showcase the stories that you want to highlight and i think it's really important for us to dive in much more deeply like we touched upon not for profit but there's reasons why some are successful and some get thrown under the radar because of the stereotypes associated with it whether oh you're always constantly looking for grants and um, sponsorship and donations and things like that but there's a whole new and whole system behind it so Jamal I don't know if you had um, any quick and final thoughts um, just so we can wrap up just one session out of many more to come but over to you jamal i mean first of all this is this has been great this has been very i've I've looked forward to this all week once i heard you guys were coming on i've been looking forward to this you can ask ren and dean i've been i've been like hey so what what like what are we gonna talk about like what are we gonna do have we done this like it's been very exciting to me and um you know you guys both you guys are amazing people from from the start of your story to to this point now and there's there's much more to come uh one like for both of you the 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 one takeaway that i have or the the few takeaways that i have one of them being what you said logan um whether you think you can or you can't either way you're going to be right that's that is a hit that is a home run and um i'm going to use that definitely going to use that from now on um i thank you for that and and chris your your leadership style man i think uh you and, and your mom and your family basically um having that leadership style to trust people to let them do what they want to do and how they're going to do it and just guiding them along the way uh that's something that i value and and an employer i value and and a friend as well so i mean that is definitely that definitely hit home to me but uh for this session man i I can't thank you guys enough for being a part of it and um like ren said we hope to be a part of many more well, I, I can say uh, it's an absolute pleasure, and um, you know Dean and Ren, who I obviously I gotten to know, um, are super inspirational. And so um, I was I kind of jumped at this opportunity, was excited to do this when I saw um, you know the opportunity to do that, Nick, to connect with you too, Jamal. It's it's been great. Okay, I appreciate that. Well, it Thank never ends so here. So much more to go, and. Uh... 
to be a echo of what Jamal said, thank you so much, Chris and Logan, for sharing those insights. It's definitely, um, we're, we're gonna have to dig deeper. So let me just tell you, today was just like, yeah, like, you guys are so cool. Like, give us your bios, let's be nice and all that. But there was a lot of things that we're gonna take jabs out. So until next time, thank you very much again um if you're looking to hire there's someone remotely available at uh in toronto unless uh she can i mean yeah she uh can move to uh, california and support y'all because i'm all all for it but um see my yeah, there's, there's, like, there's one more here too so don't, don't worry about it there you go you got your trio you got your trio <laughs> yeah you got the trio there you go okay. thank you so much for sure we appreciate it okay all right Thanks for joining in to another episode of New School of Thinking. Until next time. Welcome to another episode of the New School of Thinking podcast. Today we have Dean and Ren interviewing a special guest. Her name is Jothi from Her Space and Jothi Creative Wellness. Let's uh, sit back and listen to her story and what impact she has made. Enjoy. And there you have it, another episode in the books. Um, we have all of Jothi's information, contact information below in the description of this podcast. Um, but if you do, if you do want to contact her, you can visit Jothi.ca or info at Jothi.ca. You can email her there. That's info at J-O-T-H-I.ca. Um, we have her Instagram uh, handles below, as well as her Facebook handles. So again, thank you for listening. And as always, you know comment like share and uh stay tuned for next for the next episode hello welcome back to another episode of the new school of thinking podcast the impact series today we have a special guest with us again and uh, a friend that's dear to me and helped me throughout a journey of my own but um we'll we'll let the episode explain it for itself so here you go. Take a listen, comment, share, like, repost, and enjoy. And there it is. That was our episode with Mr. John uh, Jonathan Alexander Vlahoyanakos. I'm pretty sure I got that right. Uh, you can visit his website at www.strongjohnfitness.com. That's John as in J-O-N. Uh, email him at strongjohnfitness at gmail.com or visit his Instagram at strongjohnfitness. I encourage you all to take a look at his videos. Uh, he also has just released a YouTube channel, Strong John Fitness. Subscribe. He has some great tips, videos, tricks, and just the science. He explains the science behind everything that he does. So again, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you guys got some takeaways. And just follow, comment, share, repost. And as always, keep listening. Thank you.